Hello and welcome to Community Topics, number six of Dualist Community. I am done being anything for anyone other than myself, and sometimes even done being anything for the idea of myself. Here, here. I, I like that. That's fantastic. I would say that uh, I am learning a lot about remembering what I've convinced myself I didn't already know. I've been really enjoying this community and this discussion for that purpose, because it's through our discussions, it's through us making jokes here and there, challenging ourselves, questioning things that we assumed to be true or questioning things that were comfortable and doing so in, in a relationship, in an actual discussion, in an actual dialogue has taught me so very much or has taught me so much about myself, the perceptions I still hold on to that divide me from you and from our listener and ultimately how to get past those because it's in relationship that we learn. It's in relationship that we see ourselves in another person. And that gives us the chance to learn on a different level than just the conceptual memorization that we are often taught. And so on that note, today's topics for community topic number six are the pros and cons of the schooling system, which I'm very excited about. I know uh, in previous episodes, we've discussed it here and there, and I get a little fired up because admittedly, it's one of the great evils in the world to me. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. And the second topic is our responsibility in reading body language or even in communicating body language. Uh, are we supposed to read between the lines? How much are we supposed to read between the lines? When are we inferring something that's not there or assuming something for the sake of our own comfort? So that's another topic that is, I would say, directly in line with the first topic. So we're going to start with the schooling system. And then we'll move on to body language and communication, because as I was saying at the beginning of this episode, it's that communication where we actually learn. It's in developing and cultivating that communication that we have the opportunity to not teach others, but give them the chance to learn if they are open to doing so. So with all of that in mind, I just want to make two quick announcements. The first, of course, is that this is episode 60 of Dualistic Unity, which is crazy. It's so funny to me that at the beginning of the year, we thought, well, we'll do an episode every week as often as we can. Now we're up to two, sometimes three episodes a week. We have 60 episodes published and live for the public, and we haven't even hit a year yet. So that's an exciting development. I just wanted to share that with everybody. Looking forward to sharing it when we get to 100 as well. And of course, the second announcement I just wanted to make quickly, because I know we have a lot of new listeners who may not be aware of this. We have an affiliate program. I just wanted to mention that quickly because I know some people are sharing our content and they're even linking to our website, but they're not doing so from their affiliate link, or maybe they're not a member of the affiliate program. And so I just wanted to say that if you're doing that, if you are kind enough to take our clips and share them on social media and promote them to your friends, definitely join the affiliate program, link to the website using your, your special affiliate link. So that way we can share 50% of the sales that we make through the website with you because we really appreciate the support and why not? We're all benefiting by all of us benefiting. So I, I just wanted to say that quickly that definitely check out the affiliate program. It's worthwhile if you are an active member of the Dualistic Unity community. And that's it for the announcement. So I'm gonna pass it back to Andrew and get his initial thoughts on the schooling system and we'll go from there. All right. Um, yeah, so I feel like this is gonna be a fun conversation, but my thoughts about the schooling system aren't as, 
I don't know what the word to use exactly is maybe ag- aggressive as, as Ray's thoughts. Um, because yeah. So, so first of all, I guess with school, I don't use anything in my life that I learned in school. That's usually my take on things. It's just like, it just doesn't actually set you up for the rest of your life. It's like, you know, 20, 18, 20 years, including college that you spend just going through shit. And it's like, if there was, if I did have interest or I was able to explore things I was explicitly interested in, which from time to time, there was some overlap with something that, you know, I was interested in and I happened to be taking a course about it or a class about it, but it was super rare. So most of the time, it's just, you're getting shoved through this system in order to come out the other side, what a good worker, essentially, right? A good worker bee. And I think there's been, I forget what president it was, maybe FDR or JFK, one of the one of the ones with the three letters <laughs> who uh said that school is to make worker bees or, or something along those lines, that it's not to make humans, it's to make workers. And so I've always find that found that kind of fascinating because going through it, you don't always recognize that, but coming out the other end, especially going into, you know, I went into a fairly popular field in digital advertising. And even in that, there was nothing I even learned in in college that has been utilized there. So I know we've touched on the school system in the past and how it's essentially like a daycare. So the parents can, you know, go to their job and do their job to keep the system churning. So it's kind of just a part, a piece of the puzzle that allows the system to keep chugging along. And because parents do have their jobs and they have to work, no one really questions it because no one wants to take responsibility for the requirements that would come out of the schooling system being different than it is, maybe potentially changing it for the better would require us to look at it and say, Hey, see some things. I see some things we could potentially change and work on, but, you know, because we avoid responsibility and, and cling to, you know, false senses of certainty that, Oh, this is just the way it is. This is the best thing for our kids, blah, 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 blah. There's so many things in the way of us shifting all of this. So just some initial thoughts, but uh, I'll pass back to Ray to, to get some of his hot takes. <laughs> I absolutely will stick by the fact that the current schooling system in North America, especially, is one of the great evils in the world. And I don't mean that it should be vilified, but it should definitely be recognized as such. And it wasn't intentional. Like you can see how the schooling system got this way because once upon a time, there were no written tests, for example. And a student would often end up with a teacher or a master who would maybe take three or four other students. And so the process of learning, the process of going to school was intimate. There was a relationship. That person knew you. And when they talked to you each and every day, they knew what your capacities were, what your doubts were, what what your limitations might be based on how you saw yourself. There was actually a relationship there. And of course, that also depended on the teacher knowing themselves and having a degree of self-awareness as well. And so there was more responsibility on both parties in that relationship. 
But when it came to exams, it was an oral exam. When it came to the tests, it was an oral test because it was a relationship as such. And so in the 1800s, um, there was a, a government official, I think he was in charge of the Department of Education or something like that, but uh, Horace Mann, he ended up introducing standardized testing or, or rather he ended up introducing written tests instead of oral tests because he said, well, there's no way for us to quantify what these students know if we're not in the room to listen to them. How are we supposed to look back at their records and understand how much they know of the, of the things that they learned? And so what he did was he created standardized tests and he distributed them to the other teachers or two teachers. What's interesting is that chaos erupted from doing so because at that point, all of the teachers were teaching traditionally. They were teaching what they thought was relevant to their students, not necessarily following a set path. And so when they got these standardized tests, they started saying, half of this isn't relevant to what we've been talking about. Half of this isn't part of what we've been teaching because you don't know what we've been teaching. You've just created this test out of nowhere for us to follow. And so what's interesting, and this is exactly a sign of how screwed up things can get, was you ended up with corruption immediately. You ended up with people cheating on tests. You ended up with corrupt teachers who were, who were changing the mark for different reasons, which still happens today. There was a scandal, uh, I think it was in California a couple of years ago where a bunch of uh, celebrities had their kids going into universities where they were like, paying off the coach to pretend their kids were like in volleyball or something and they never ever saw the court or something along those lines. Like that is a part of a capitalistic education system, straight up. And if you have a standardized testing system, those tests can be fudged. Those tests can be changed, right? And so they ended up, with this big scandal, there were teachers that were being publicly shamed, right? And, and, and of course it was making it more difficult for the students as well because a standardized education system or a standardized testing system doesn't take into account what's happening in your life, right? Or any of the things that you might be going through. So especially people who were uh, in minority groups, they had no special consideration for the fact that maybe getting to school was more difficult, maybe following along in school was more difficult because English wasn't their first language. None of that, it was just, here's your test, pass or fail. Right. And then so right there, you can see how the relationship aspect of education started to get left behind. And immediately there was there was chaos. There was a consequence to doing so. And then like 70, 80 years later, um, Kelly, I think his name was, um, he ended up coming up with multiple choice standardized testing. And that was the biggest rave. Like, woo, this makes it even easier to get people down the production line and into the workshop. Right. So that way we don't have to hold up production as it were, you know, we got other grades behind here waiting to be distributed. And it was shortly after that he introduced the multiple choice questions that he said, this is too crude to be used. It should be abandoned entirely. The man who invented them. And we never have. And why? Well, because at the end of the day, it's very difficult to be a capitalistic society, to pay teachers, to fund schooling, and to not consistently year after year after year have to cut corners have to cut the budget year after year after year dealing with corruption dealing with all kinds of stuff happening on the administrative end because that happens too right and it's because of the relationship the relationship fell apart the fact is that if we had more administrators who were teachers who actually did work with children and built that relationship they would be far less likely to be corrupt because they would actually be in it for the right reasons but we get people who go to university learn how to basically manage a school have never actually been a teacher or had any relationship with students whatsoever but you know they know how to run a business and then we wonder why the schooling system is falling apart and we wonder why things are going downhill and what's funny about 
all of that is that while things continue to degrade, all we hear is more education, more education. We need better books. We need better testing. We need more tests. And we don't look at the trend that has been going on for 150 fucking years. This is why I say the schooling system as it is right now is one of the greatest evils that we have to deal with because they are getting to us so young and completely distorting what the human process of growth and relationship and learning usually is, organically is. And they've replaced it with this manufacturing model of us just going down a conveyor belt, being stamped for approval at different points before we're ultimately shipped out as the end product. And then we wonder why we have no sense of meaning. We wonder why we have no sense of purpose. We wonder why we're riddled with anxiety as soon as we leave school at the merest mention that somebody might be unhappy with our work or that we haven't produced enough. Why? Because we were raised like that. Then we wonder why we shy away from people when they want to open up to us or why we don't want to open up to other people. We were never told to open up to other people. We were told to shut up, pay attention, read your book. And when the bell goes off, you can have a little bit of freedom until tomorrow when you have to come back again. That kind of conditioning sticks and, and it, it makes everything about this discussion that we're having, everything about the process of growing, everything about questioning yourself so much harder. And I say this with conviction because it is the reason that I homeschooled my daughter. Somebody asked me once, well, why, do you, why did you decide to homeschool your daughter? I said, so I can live with myself. Because at the end of the day, I remember what school did to me. I see what school does to my clients. I see it all the time. It's not worth it. There is a better way. A fucking man. <laughs> oh, man, I have a bunch of thoughts about that. But yeah, every so I was not aware of the oral testing and how schooling, you know, used to be, I guess, if I think about it, that makes sense. And then but then the introduction of standardized tests and then the introduction of multiple choice standardized tests. And it's funny how parallel that is to us getting further and further from the point. And, and that is, is just us getting less and less sensitive to reality, less need to actually know shit and just be able to hold up a piece of paper and be like, see, I know shit. It's like, but do you actually, you know, you, you ask them five days later and it's like, you know, you could ask me in high school, like five days later after I took a test, like, so what about, you know, this war do you know from like a history class or whatever and like, i don't know jack shit but you got an a on that test yeah because i crammed and memorized and and memorized what the study guide said and that was it it's like that that's so far from the point and the uh the other interesting aspect of like you know the whole what we talked about on the last episode in our uh round table number seven um about the difference between knowledge and unlearning or like learning more versus unlearning all the things that you believe to be the truth. And school is basically just shoving as much knowledge as we can possibly pack without any desire or pushing towards questioning everything we believe to be the truth about ourselves. There is no amount of that. So I almost think of school as ego fuel. It's like, it's literally fuel to set a lighter off and, and fuel our ego into the rest of our life. Because throughout school, you know, it's building the idea of ourself or diminishing the idea of ourself based on how we do on a fucking test, based on whether we get an A or a B or a C or a D or an F. It's like, oh, 
you get A's, you're an A person. You get C's, you're a C person. Oh, you get F's, you're lost. We gotta, we gotta fix you. You got problems. It's like, you know how deeply ingrained that gets in, in kids, you know, when, when you start doing that, when they're eight years old and they're still primarily existing in theta brainwave state and just downloading everything that's happening, they're a fucking sponge. And they're told that they're an F person, like no shit, that's going to fuck them up. And along those lines, like a lot of people ask, like, you know, why isn't stuff we talk about taught in school or why isn't meditation taught in school? Why isn't that an aspect of it? And I think similar to psychedelics, the reason that psychedelics are, are banned is not because, you know, it's bad for us, but because it's bad for them, bad for, bad for the man, bad for the people who make these things illegal, like meditation, even, even to think of it in an ego way, like a lot of the reason that people don't often meditate is because they see it as something that doesn't get them anywhere. Like, well, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to get there. I got to chase that carrot. I got to get to that carrot. And meditation is, is like letting go of the need to, or it, it helps reinforce to you that like, oh, you don't have to get anywhere. If you're, if you're doing it in the way that, you know, not that it's meant to, but in the actual beneficial way, instead of doing it to improve your idea of yourself, which will only reinforce your suffering. If you're meditating for the sake of meditating, there isn't, it, it's not a progressive action. It's not getting you somewhere, which our society is, is built upon. So of course, school, which is just trying to push out workers, isn't going to take the time to teach something that's going to allow them to be a little bit more introspective, allow them to, you know, question some things, question some things about themselves, question why they need to feel all of this external validation all the time. And then there might not be as many people coming out ready to, you know, put their nose at the grindstone and, and work for the rest of their life until they are too old to do anything. And then just, you know, Peter off and die. So yeah, there's, Oh man, there's so many aspects of it, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, if only it was easier to accomplish even that small change in introducing meditation in school, because again, as a parent over the years, I have watched numerous different types of schools like Montessori schools or private schools try to introduce things like meditation in preschool or meditation in the lower grades to teach children how to self-regulate, to give them that time to self-reflect. And there was even a, a cartoon when my daughter was growing up, kind of a 3D animated cartoon called Waybaloo. Uh, it was from here in Canada. And during the episode, which was cute, don't get me wrong, it was really nice about friendship and relationships and all that. Um, they would stop and do a child's form of yoga called yoga. And what's interesting is that in the schooling system, and in the case of Waybaloo specifically, the Christians came out in force because yoga is the work of the devil. Yoga is from a different culture, from a different religion, and therefore is worshiping other deities that are ultimately going to steal the soul of our children. And this is an actual thing. And isn't it funny that it's coming from people that are preaching about God, which is what I was saying the other day to Farah that you know, it drives me nuts when people preach unity but spread division because ultimately, they're getting in the way of their own children having a deeper appreciation of the reality of God so that way they can protect a concept of God. And I find that incredibly funny and tragic all at the same time. But the other thing that's worth considering is that even if we were able to introduce meditation in school, and again, some schools are, the ones that are managing to get past the Christians especially are doing exactly that. And they are seeing some benefit, but that benefit is always restricted or limited 
by the environment of the school itself, because the idea of school being divided into grades, which are ultimately divided by age at the end of the day, there might be the rare except, exception who's a few years older or a few years younger and in a certain grade, but often it's the same age range. And in a school, it's a very narrow age range, not just in the grades, but from one grade to another. So you might have, you know, K to nine, for example, or even K through high school, but that's still only an age range of like 12 years between the youngest and the, and the oldest, right? And so that's all they're getting exposed to. Other immature people, they're getting exposed to other immature children who are being raised primarily by either the system, their television, or, or their parents. They're not interacting with adults except for the teachers who barely have enough time to keep up because they have so many students and so little time in terms of testing and everything else, and, and they don't know anybody. And so again, it becomes this Lord of the Flies kind of activity where everybody is more or less just feeding off of everybody else's wants and needs and fears. And that's why you have insecurity running rampant. You have bullies that end up dominating the entire field. Like there's so much that goes from the simple fact that they are not being exposed to people who aren't in their mentality. They're not being exposed to people who have been out in the world, actually understanding that nobody cares if I want to feel better than everybody else. They're all just trying to take care of themselves. And that's a real world insight. But it's not an insight you get in high school because in high school or any school, they will protect that mentality. They will encourage that mentality of you thinking you're better than everyone else. Because ultimately they think it motivates you towards better performance because that's what they've been taught to think as well. That the kids who try the hardest are going to be the smartest. And ultimately that's not true because it's relaxing into our intelligence that allows us to really think. And this is something that always gets to me and I know I'm still rambling about this. I told you I was passionate about this one. How many students would do so much better if not for the incredible amount of stress that we put on them and the pressure that we put on them and all the needless thought and self-analysis and self-judgment that we teach them to do? Because the only thing I've learned in my life is how to learn easier, is how to learn better, is how to get out of my own way. That is the major lesson in my life. Everything else becomes easier as a result of that. But we don't teach kids that. And then we wonder why they fail. And then we wonder why after they fail and they stress out, their marks continue to go downward. Because it's so hard to figure that out. Yeah, right. And it's interesting. Yeah, with all of the reinforcement too, it's like, with the ideas of ourselves that are being built throughout our childhood, throughout our lives, then to layer on top of that, you know, all of the grades and all of the marks and all of that, it's like, that's just driving home all of those things. And there's a story. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast of a guy who was always never got good grades growing up. And then he took a standardized, standardized test, either the ACT or the SAT. And he took it and he was like, I, you know, did the same as I always do. Didn't do great. And he got it back and he actually did incredibly well. Got like 95th or 99th percentile in it. And he recognized in that, like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not as dumb as I've always told myself. And, and he went on to you know, start a business, was a super successful entrepreneur, do all these things. And then it came out, whatever, 10 years later that there was a bunch of incorrect marks sent out on those tests. And he actually did super poorly and got like, you know, 30th percentile or whatever. But just that switch in his mentality, in his 
idea of himself as someone who is dumb to someone who is smart changed everything. It wasn't that he wasn't ever smart or that he wasn't ever capable. He just kept telling him that himself that story. And that's what we're always doing. That's what we're always doing with the ideas of ourselves, with the stories that we tell ourselves, is reinforcing this made up bullshit narrative that we wake up every morning and tell ourselves. And it always limits our infinite potential in every single moment. But the older we get, the more reinforced it is. And then we go through certain experiences that we go in with this preconceived notion about how we are. And then we don't, we follow that notion. And, and it's rare that we go in with this belief about ourselves and then prove ourselves wrong. There are the occasions that that does happen. And oftentimes that's where the switch happens. As someone goes into something with this preconceived notion, they prove themselves wrong somehow. And then they change forever and, and everything shifts. I know in my life, that's, I've talked about this before that I used to think that I wasn't confident, wasn't a good speaker, couldn't articulate things well, blah, 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 blah at work, especially with clients. I have a more or less a client facing role at, at my job. And my boss made us record a client call. I, she made us listen to it back. I had the same ideas in my head as that dude taking the test. And I was like, no, that didn't go well. I, I didn't answer this question. Great. And then I listened to it back and none of it was true. It's like, I actually did super well on that, that, uh, call. And I was like, Oh my God, it was, it was that switch that I needed. And I started posting content a week later. This is a little over two years ago now, but yeah, school just reinforces all of those ideas. And, and as we go through, I can still remember when I was younger, I was always pretty good at, at math and things like that. And not as great in reading and writing. And so I was always in the, the highest group for math and in the mid groups for reading, but I always enjoyed math. So I was like, I don't give a shit about reading anyway. And, and so I was in those classes, but then there was like three or four tiers that kids got put in. And I remember like, I was seven years old. I thought about people differently based on what group they're in. I was like, oh, that person's not as smart. And like, I became friends with the kids in my group. And like, we were probably, I don't know what, I don't remember anything specific, but I'm sure there was some preconceived notions about us versus them and, and all of these crazy segmented out beliefs and, and stigmas about ourselves. And it's, it's all carries into adulthood and, and what we become. So I'm curious, Ray, do you think that school is necessary? Do you think, because I think a lot, especially since I started taking more mushrooms about how just like society did not have to be the way that it is. Like all the things we believe, like, oh, go to preschool, go to regular school, go to college, get a job, retire, die. Like none of it ever had to be that way. Even going to school before the age 20, like you don't have to, but it, it's literally a law now that you need to, you know, graduate or at least get a GED. So do you think and I'm sure you've thought about this before. Like, what do you, do you see as your ideal without the schooling system? Is it, is it more going back to smaller group classes or, you know, do we still have teachers? Is there more homeschooling or are parents maybe in a, in an alternate universe, parents don't have to work all day. So then they can foster more time with their kids and, and growth. Um, yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on all that. That's a damn good question, man, because I'm not going to say that I have the answer by any means. I mean, there's there's so much variation. And ultimately, 
different groups of people like to be educated in different ways. Depending on your culture, you may not value the same thing. You might value math more than, say, languages. You might value art more than science. Who's to say what's relevant to you or your culture or your geography or whatever, or, or wherever you might live. But I, I think that the biggest thing is just recognizing that this doesn't work. Starting there, just recognizing there's too much toxicity in this to fix it. The plane is meant to crash. Doesn't matter if we're out on the wings while it's in the air trying to fix it, it's going down. And so we need to accept that. But there are already different types of alternatives. Like I said earlier, there's Montessori, Montessori school, there are private schools, um, but those can be expensive. Uh, one thing I, I thought was really interesting is that there was a, a private school here in the town that I live in. And I was looking at their website and this is just kindergarten to grade six, I think it is. And for a kindergarten child, it's $20,000 for the year, right? And immediately you're like, wow, that seems like a lot. But then you consider well, the building, the property, electricity, the teachers, the tools that they use, the books, things like that, they at all costs, at all costs, right? And so there's a consideration when it comes to cost. And I think that that's the other thing that needs to go. I think that we need as a, as a species to decide what our priorities are, because if we are measuring our children's education according to a budget, that shows that our priorities are askew. Because if we are actually serious about the species progressing and growing and coming to a, a new level of clarity and evolving at the end of the day, then education should be free. Education should be one of those things that the system just provides, no matter what the level is because we're all in this together. The more you understand, the better off we ultimately all are. I think that no matter what strategy we use, no matter what schooling system you do decide, and I do want to address one question that you asked there, do I think schooling or, or school is necessary? No, specifically when it comes to the word school, because that was never a thing up until like 200 years ago, right? It, it was more or less just whatever town you lived in, there would be somebody who loved teaching or knew a lot of stuff and maybe was good with kids and they would take the kids in and they would start teaching them some stuff because the parents knew that person. There was a relationship there. There was some kind of give and take. Maybe they were trading for, for food or they were trading for, for whatever it might be. There was a relationship because that person was local. I think that if we can go back to that to some degree, and I know from homeschooling my daughter that there is a network of teachers, of qualified teachers that exist all over the world who are just waiting for an opportunity to connect with some good kids and, sh and share the information that they have and share the life lessons and the insights that they have. But the schooling system makes it very difficult for them to actually connect to those parents. And of course, because the schooling system is constantly telling the majority of people to just put your kids in school, some people don't actually know that those teachers are available, that those networks do exist, that these alternatives are even around. So I think that that's the biggest thing is focusing on connection focusing on the actual relationship between the student and the teacher. But that means removing the requirement to have them all in a room for eight hours a day in a certain amount of desks and everything else. People don't need to learn like that. And I'll give you the example of my daughter. My daughter has two meetings a week with teachers. That's it. The rest of it is all self-driven. She's given uh, a challenge for the week. She talks to her teacher about her insights. She writes a report. She does so whatever it is she needs to do. She goes to her other classes. That's it. The rest of the time is hers for self-reflection. And as a result, she knows everything she's supposed to know at her age, but she has less than half the stress of most of her friends. So we don't need to be constantly inundated with information. And some European countries are figuring that out where they've reduced it to like a four day uh, school week with half days. 
no homework, that kind of thing. And they've seen a huge pickup in terms of grades and understanding and comprehension because the kids aren't stressed out. The kids aren't hating the process of learning because it's not a pressure and it shouldn't be a pressure. It should be something that is natural and organic for any living being with the capacity to learn. That's pretty much it, but we don't nurture it that way. We look at it with the purpose of a specific end result, which is to drive the system and make more money. That's it, until we can change our priority, until we can recognize that the education of other human beings that will continue to change the world shouldn't be a capitalistic consideration, we're screwed. We have to change our priority. And then whatever happens after that, it's gonna work out just fine, but it's the priority that has to be there. And with that all said, I just wanna switch over to the next topic quickly because it is directly in line with what we're talking about here. Reading nonverbals. How do we read nonverbals in other people and know that we're not mistaken? Should we read nonverbals in other people? And I will always say it really depends on a couple of things. It depends on how open and honest they're being. It depends on how open and honest you are. And it depends on how much experience you have in reading people and being around people. That's the whole point. But we can't develop that in our current schooling system. We don't know our teachers. We never have enough time with them to really understand whether or not they're looking us in the face and telling us the truth or not. We don't know. All we know is that we are supposed to obey them or there's a punishment. So there's no relationship. We're never taught how to read body language. We're never encouraged to read between the lines until they're frustrated and they're like, well, can't you read between the lines? But we've never been taught to do so. And so I think that also ties back to our schooling system and ties to, and this is the thing, I wanna say this quickly, I'm gonna switch it back to you. This is so important to recognize that it's not just the schooling system. Everyone we're surrounded by was the victim of this schooling system. So they're all suffering from Stockholm syndrome to some degree. This is why it always makes me laugh when a parent will say, well, I can't raise my kid and educate them because I don't know enough. I'm going to put them in the schooling system that failed to teach me. And yet we don't notice it. It's just that we don't wanna take the responsibility. We don't wanna understand that it's not just concepts that make a person intelligent. It's not just book knowledge that makes you intelligent. It really is your ability to empathize, to relate, to think on your feet in the moment. And we don't know how to cultivate that without people thinking so much that they question the status quo. Yeah, because we are intelligence beyond all of the concepts that we are taught. But as long as we keep piling in those fucking concepts, the intelligence is getting drowned by them. The truth of what we are as universal intelligence is getting drowned by the concepts, weighed down by the concepts. So we keep trying to shove them into our brains or whatever, trying to become more intelligent. And it's potentially making us less intelligent. And so it's funny because whenever we go into these topics, I'm like, how the hell, like for this one, I was like, how the hell is the school system and nonverbal communication, reading body language and, and whose uh, priority or, or responsibility that is, how are those going to tie together? But of course, like with everyone we've done so far, they're tying together because we're not taught that. That's something that we're not taught in the schooling system. So when I was thinking, and again, we don't prepare for these, we find out based on the votes, like, you know, an hour before and 
I had work up to this call, so I, I didn't have too much time. But in the little bit of time that I did think about the responsibility, I think it's important to recognize that with responsibility of reading body language or being able to even read body language, you need to be sensitive to the moment. You need to be aware in the moment, not just through the veil of what you think they're thinking, but actually there with them. And again, in school, that is not something that we were taught. We were not taught to be present. We're always, you know, like Alan Watts's speech about, you know, you're in kindergarten trying to get to first grade and then primary school and, and high school, looking forward to college, college, looking forward to your first job, first job, looking forward to your career, starting a family focused on when you're going to retire. And then, you know, then you die and that's, that's sort of it. So we're never taught to be where we're at because it's not how the system runs. It's, it's run on getting to the next point so that the system can keep churning, keep progressing. And we've talked about progress in the past. Progress has no end. And so I think when it comes to responsibility, like who's responsible when, when you're, when you have body language, you're not verbally communicating something, but you're clearly expressing things on, on your face in your tone of voice and things like that. And I think it isn't a one size fits all. I think it is very much dependent. And if someone is, you know, very aware in the moment, they are, you know, where their feet are very often, they will have the sensitivity to read more body language. But if someone isn't, then they won't be able to. So I think the person expressing the body language has to have some sensitivity to who they're talking to and, and sort of mind their own expectations of the other person that they're interacting with. Because if that person, you know, that they're rarely there with you, how the fuck can you expect them to read your body language? Because that's not something that you can just like think about afterwards. It's something that's happening in the moment and they have to be there with you in order to read it. So if you do get frustrated by someone who isn't all there, not being able to read between the lines, you're only going to perpetuate more suffering for yourself. You're only going to create more suffering for yourself. So is it their responsibility? Sure. Like it would be nice if people were more present and with you more often, but at the same time, if you believe it's all their responsibility, then you're only creating more suffering for yourself. You're the, you're the one getting frustrated. You're the one, you know, getting angry because they're not reading between the lines. So in that case, the responsibility can't fully fall on the other person. And then if you lash out at them, they're like, you can't expect me to do something that you're not verbally communicating at the same time. So there has to be that sensitivity on both ends for where someone's at. And it's not to say even, you know, you could maybe argue that being present is better than not being present, but you know, it's not an objective thing. So even saying like, you should be more present and then the other person not be in there with you, you can't totally fault them because you're clearly not being sensitive, sensitive enough to recognize that they're not all there. So then you're building this expectation of them based on believing that they're all there, but you're not being sensitive enough to recognize that they're not. So it, it's a, you know, there is no objective here. I think it's, again, comes back to your sensitivity in the moment. And like with all things, there's no correct answer. There's no hundred percent, like this is it always this person's responsibility. It's always going to be dependent like all things. 
Absolutely, because it's a path, right? And it's so interesting because we we take our paths and we go from having very little awareness, being totally lost in, in what we think, to gaining some awareness. And then as we gain some awareness and we are less involved with ourselves and so we can read more from the other person, we almost start to expect them to do the same as us. We're like, why? Why do you keep asking me to reword what I said? Like, can you explain that to me? I didn't quite understand that. What do you mean by that? Why can't you just infer like I've been doing? And then you realize, right, but I wasn't always doing that because I was really caught up in myself. So this person is actually showing an interest in asking these questions and maybe I should slow down and try and find that bridge again. So after a certain point of awareness, the only way for you to continue to gain awareness is to deal with less awareness. So you learn patience from that. Such an interesting journey. And, and it's so important that we take that in. I wanted to cover something quickly that we keep using the word body language, which I find funny because it really does come back down to the perception of a body. But as we've said, there is no mind-body dichotomy. There is no split. So your body language is a direct reflection of the mentality that you're embodying each and every moment. So are we reading body language or are we feeling the shared moment and calling it reading body language? Because I've taken courses on body language and I'll tell you right now, sometimes, yeah, you're like, wow, that's pretty good. Other times, totally full of shit. And I mean that like, oh, if your eyes are looking up into a certain direction, that means you're lying. Not always. Sometimes people have vision problems. There are reasons that people develop certain habits. Oh, if your arms are crossed, that means you are close to listening to what's, what's being spoken to you. Maybe not. I could be cold. Maybe this is how I'm comfortable, right? And so if you're looking at the body language and holding it to a structure that you've learned, you are once again missing the point, right? You are once again out of the flow, thinking something means a certain thing. It's like reading dreams and trying to figure out the meaning of those. You've already processed the meaning. It's happening when you're in it. Right? Don't look back and then try and compare it to somebody else's notes. It's a personal experience. It's your experience. right? And so the same is true with body language. The more you get out of your way, the more you recognize that you are what is, the more reading body language, quote unquote, is really just being sensitive to yourself, which is the other person. And so that's where this goes, as always, is back to the recognition of unity and the practice of working together to reveal all of our potential. We forget that. We're so busy trying to teach people. We don't understand that we're learning while we teach them. Right? And that's the process. And so I think that if there's anything we can do for the schooling system, if there's anything we can do in terms of recognizing when we should read body language, when we're assuming or anything else, self-knowledge, self-exploration, question yourself, question your need to be looked at as a teacher or question your need to identify in a certain way question all of that because that's the stuff that's going to help you connect with other people which is ultimately when you do meet your teachers and your students the organic way the way it's meant to be yeah it's funny you bring up the rules too because it's applicable to body language school so much for our society we want rules people think when they think about body language like all the things you said like look up and to the left that person's lying oh their arms are closed they don't they don't want to talk to me and it's like we think x always equals x or one plus one always equals two in all of these situations where it isn't formulaic but we've built this formula we've layered on this formula because we desire rules because we desire certainty because we lack faith in ourselves. We lack faith in ourselves, 
in the moment that we're experiencing. So we feel like we need to rely on all this bullshit that yes, maybe it's applicable a lot of the time, but it's not all the time. And there are going to be a bunch of times where you misread a situation as long as you're relying on those rules. And there's always, well, what was the thing you said about laws? Like for every law, there's like two more bylaws created, something like that. And yeah, it's always going to be the case because nothing is certain in, in any of that. But you know, because we crave so much, all this false sense of certainty, because we lack faith in ourselves, that's all it really comes down to. We desire rules. We feel like we need all of these rules put in place or else we have to be sensitive to the moment. We'd have to be sensitive to the experience that we're having and act accordingly. If, you know, the school system was lifted, it was like, no more school, we're going to figure it out. Everyone would lose their fucking minds. They're like, oh, oh no, what's going to happen? Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, why don't we think about it? Why don't we like react to the reality that we're in? right now. And it's the same thing, you know, with anything with, with society, we don't want to look at how things are now. We look back on how history was and we, you know, look forward a couple of years, hoping that things don't crash and burn immediately because we see ourselves as this limited idea. That's only going to be around for another couple of years. And then, so we don't want to look at this because, you know, we don't really care if shit crashes and burns in 200 years, we're just holding on. We keep patching up the fucking sinking ship. And, you know, it's the same with all of this. All of these things is because we fear uncertainty. We fear freedom. We fear all of that. We fear the potential that we truly have when we let go of all of the ideas that we hold on to. And those ideas include all of the rules that we create in our society. All the rules are, are more or less larger embodiments of the lack of faith we have in ourselves. That's all it comes down to. So yeah, whether it's body language, the school system, society in general, we crave rules because without them, we would have to be sensitive to our experience and have faith in ourselves. Exactly. One actually has to think that perhaps the problem is that we get so attached to the ideas that we have to facilitate learning, that we get so attached to our structures because the structures themselves aren't necessarily evil. I mean, the idea that we should give access to education for children who may not have that access, it's not a bad idea. I mean, the idea of putting like a schoolhouse in every town across the United States back in, in, in the Wild West, for example, and going forward into the Industrial Revolution, that wasn't a bad idea. You can see how there might be some merit there. All of a sudden, kids who didn't have access to, to learning how to read or didn't have access to basic math skills did, which is fine. Give that two or three more generations, and all of a sudden, you have the public schooling system and all of the consequences that go with that. And so one has to wonder that perhaps what we should do is come up with a good idea, give it a try, and every generation or two, rip it down to the ground and start over. So that way we all feel like we are involved in the creation of this strategy. So we have some vested interest in it because all of us feel the same way. We were born into a system that we have no say over, that we can't change the rules that we were born into. And they are so set in stone from such a long history of just habitually following them. It seems almost impossible to change it. But if we could actually weave the temporary nature of reality into our, our urge to constantly build structures, perhaps we'd mitigate some of that, that consequence. So yeah, it's really interesting that if, we, if it wasn't for the fact that we have designated school as a place to learn, 
all of life would be our education. And on that note, we are going to end community topics number six. This has been a great episode, of course. I love this topic. As you can tell, I get a little fired up about it. It's why I'm glad that I homeschool my daughter and I don't go to PTA meetings because we can all imagine how that would go. Um, one more quick announcement, of course, if you haven't joined us for our group chats on Patreon, I definitely recommend you do. It's only $5 a month. Those group chats are the absolute gem of dualistic unity. It's where all the good shit comes out. If you can join us for an actual face-to-face -face conversation, you will get so much more out of it, which is exactly the point of this episode. Amen. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I would love to see you live in a parent-teacher association meeting. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine if, if we're talking about this just on our podcast, how great one of those would be. But yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe we can... Uh, Nah, never mind. We we would never hop into a PTA meeting because we were talking about when we when I visited Ray about getting into a Bible study. I think that's a little bit more reasonable to ask questions there than going into a random schools public uh, public schools parent teacher association meeting. Uh, that might be yeah, that might raise a, a few more red flags than going into a Bible study. But uh, regardless, ripples are going to be made, and I'm excited to continue making more of them. Absolutely. Perhaps one day one of our dualistic unity community members will say, I got a child and she's going to a PTA meeting. Come on down. You can come in with me. That'd be a lot of fun for sure. Of course, you know, just as with the debate segment that we have coming up in season four, all done with tact and respect and a good degree of humor. It's all it's all done in good cheer and with goodwill. Like we're not in any way trying to upset people, whether they get upset or not is really not up to us. But I really do enjoy the fact that when somebody does get upset face to face with me, I have an opportunity to smooth that out because I'm there. I'm talking to them. I'm in that relationship where I'm the student and the teacher, which is exactly, again, the point of this episode. So we're going to wrap this up. We will see you next week for episode 12. Hi, everyone.